This is Ozarks at Large for a wintry Friday, January 12th, 2024. I'm Kyle Callums. Today, how the Elaine massacre of 1919 still resonates. There are people lobbying them to give the land back uh, because, you know, they're, they're basically profiting from stolen land. A new film about an Arkansas tragedy is screened a week from tonight. Plus, the critical need for blood donations. And after the holidays, uh, we always see a dip um, in participation. Why? You know, people are coming back from traveling. They're starting back. We're all trying to get caught up. We're all so busy. But the need uh, for blood products does not change. A traditionally challenging month for blood collection will be even more challenging with winter weather disruptions. And the summer musical event Sweatfest has a new winter partner, Sweaterfest. First, NPR with this news. The exhibit Annie Leibovitz at Work is closing soon at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville. It features daring portraits for Rolling Stone, Vanity Fair, and Vogue, as well as new portraits made just for Crystal Bridges. Only open until January 29th. Tickets at crystalbridges.org. It is Friday, January 12th, 2024, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellums. Hope you're safe and warm on this wintry day. Later this hour, the need for blood doesn't diminish in January, but blood donations often do. How one area blood agency is trying to shrink the gap between need and supply. This is our first New Friday show of 2024, and we aren't starting as we do most Fridays. Michael Tilley's voice has gone the way of warm weather and disappeared for now. He'll be back with us to begin next Friday's program. We instead start with the men behind the new movie, We Have Just Begun. It's a film about the 1919 Elaine Massacre and dispossession in Phillips County, Arkansas. The murder of hundreds of black citizens was one of the deadliest incidents of the red summer of 1919, when racial violence erupted in more than two dozen American cities. Black residents in Elaine were killed after moving forward with plans to receive better prices from white plantation owners who had a stranglehold on the local economy. The incident is detailed in the book Blood in Their Eyes, The Elaine Massacre of 1919 by the late Griff Stockley. And the new documentary explores the episode not just as history, but as a continuing influence on the present. A screening a week from tonight at the Arkansas Museum of Fine Arts in Little Rock is sponsored by the Arkansas Cinema Society. Earlier this week, I reached the film's creators, Michael Wilson and Tonga Eisen Martin. Wilson says the violence that engulfed Elaine more than 100 years ago was precipitated by a desire for a collective uplift of black farmers and residents. It was about um, getting together, uh, trying to pool money, buying land for the collective benefit of the people, uh, the black people of, of uh, Phillips County. And that's a, that's a fundamentally different um, goal than uh, anyone around them was prepared to support, obviously. But, you know, I think it says something that they thought that the times, the wind had changed to a certain degree and that the times were going to allow them to um, try this. I mean, they knew it was dangerous, um, obviously, but they they were going to they were going to try. And that was one of the things that really attracted me to this project. It wasn't just the the tragedy that's been buried. I mean, we know that a lot of tragedies have been buried in Arkansas history and American history. But the fact that there was radical rural organizing taking place 
in Arkansas, which is routinely written off as a place where unions just cannot happen, right? Well, the reason they can't happen is because that they've been systematically suppressed and the you know normalizing of a narrative that that we don't want unions or the south won't tolerate unions has just prevailed but that's fundamentally untrue um you know in the absence of like brutal violent repression unions are definitely wanted <laughs> you know people do want to like uh better their lot uh people are not uh, blind to the benefits that you know unionization and collective organizing can bring so uh, you know that that was a hopeful side of this and it prefigures the southern tenant farmers union i mean it's really from this failure that the southern tenant farmers union kind of um strategizes and and is more effective when did you first um become aware of the elaine massacre i went through public school I didn't know about it until I was an adult. How did either of you find out about it? Uh, well, I read Griff Stockley's book um, not too long after it came out. But, I mean, that was after having, you know, gone through public schools in Arkansas, you know, going to Central and uh, graduating from Hendrix. So I had many opportunities to learn about it, <laughs> but I didn't. Um, and, you know, I was talking to someone else um, recently, and maybe it was mentioned briefly, but it definitely didn't have any um, impact on me. And it was it was not something anyone lingered on or, or gave any significance to. Yeah, I learned about it from Michael, frankly. I mean, I, I knew about the, the Red Summer uh, and, the, you know, the material conditions that created the Red Summer, but I, I was not up on Elaine until Michael... So when you're looking at a story that's now a bit more than a century old and so horrific, how do you begin to put this in a film? How do you be- where do you start? Yeah, I mean that's that's tough because there's no archival imagery. There aren't any recordings, audio recordings, um the poverty of information uh that was deliberately whittled away and and hidden and destroyed um, or withheld is a huge obstacle. Um, And I think that's probably the case with a lot of black history, you know, just the uh, immediate desire on the part of the, you know, ruling class or the white landowners to cover our, cover their tracks and, and, uh, get things uh back to normal um was was really overwhelming um you know and in in the the case of elaine um the uh council of seven actually posted um posters broadsides all over the county uh you know telling everyone to be quiet to go back home to go to work um to not worry is what they said. Um, so, uh, you know, there there was a deliberate plan to bury the incident and uh, have everyone forget. Um, it was really difficult to get anyone to talk about it um, when I first went down in 2015. And it took a couple of years before I was um, actually 
in dialogue with people who had some connection to it. Um, but once the permission, I guess, was was collectively granted for people to talk about it, it it started spilling out. And um, and so I really relied on, you know, connections that I made down at the Elaine Legacy Center, um, just, you know, wandering Phillips County, trying to find people who would talk about it. But, uh, you know, reading Ida B. Wells was incredibly important. Um, some of the other studies, uh, Nan Woodruff has written a really good book, and obviously Griff Stockley. Um, talking to Griff before he died was was really important um, and uh, really helped me kind of orient. Yeah. If I may, you know, if I may add what uh, what Michael is is down uh, playing, <laughs> uh, just from watching him uh, through this process, he he basically like gave his mind, body, and soul uh, to this excavation. Um, you know, just to really. Um, you know, just relentlessly pursue every single fact he could get his hand on, uh, every kind of witness or descendant of witness he could get his hand on to put himself in the, you know, in, in a in really in a, a firing line um, of sorts. So to to kind of to pursue the the telling of you know the, the kind of a, a story that really represents the true uh, social contradiction between oppressor and, and oppressed really kind of uh, uh, requires you to, to become this this uh, kind of hybrid vessel, both academic and spiritual for, for, for lack of a, um, for lack of a better description. Um, so, you know, what, what I saw in Michael was just like this, complete immersion almost de devoid of himself um and and that's what you know that that was the gravity that 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 pulled me into the into the project and this that's the actionable uh, intel i would uh, pass along to any uh, you know aspiring storytellers uh, you have to really just kind of give yourself to to the history I have not seen the full film, unfortunately, but in the trailer, there is this this connection between something that happened in 1919, but you hear people saying they don't want us talking about it now. Yeah, because some of the same families own land down there. They still own land and they still want to control the narrative. Um, so, you know, I don't want to give away the, you know, some central sort of reveals in the film, but I think that um, it's pretty obvious when you've got uh, a small state like Arkansas that has a relatively small circle of ruling figures that um, the legacy is not going to be too far from the conditions that obtained in 1919. Right. The there's some different landholders now. There are conglomerates that own the land. Um, 
you know, and that's being revealed uh, as we speak. Um, TIAA Cref is a huge landowner down there now and have bought a lot of land from the, the ruling class in Phillips County. And so um, there are people lobbying them to give the land back uh, because, you know, they're, they're basically profiting from stolen land. And, and I would add too that, you know, if you, if you pan out, you see that all across the United States, hegemony is enforced um, by violence. And when you especially look at this kind of the, the uptick in white supremacist violence, that's, that's not just a, a kind of a, almost a, a gaseous a, a cultural phenomenon or reality, but you know, a highly organized and ever crystallizing um, political tendency. Um, we're in a, you know, I mean, it, this is like a, you know, a fact that as these white supremacist movements have actually been stabilized by participation of military personnel, of police, there it's, it's more than just cross burnings now. Now it's actually targeted um murder uh and and so you know it, it's not it's not um it's not paranoia why why people would um you know would, would feel that like you know i, I mean if, if if they'll kill they'll, they'll kill you for a lot less than uh than, than bringing in an important exposure of, of the of that of that local ruling class to light let alone you know a, a uh, you know a, 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 an outing of sorts. Does that provide fuel for making sure that this film is made and is seen by audiences? Yeah, it's also um, been an obstacle to funding the film and uh, you know getting it made. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think that the fact that it's uh, it's actively being um, opposed. Does does give you know some sort of weight to the project? Um, You know, it's a hundred year old story that's still contentious because some of the same dynamics obtain down there. Um, You know, you've got uh, a kind of ongoing dispossession. You know, partially because of the mechanization of agriculture, partially because of just you know societal and uh, political neglect. Um, and abuse of the the people who do remain. Um, I say abuse because I think that you know neglect can really uh, be malignant. You know, I think that the the fact that um, regulation doesn't uh, ban carcinogenic uh, you know pesticides from being routinely uh, sprayed over the town of Elaine. You know, I mean, there are people in the film who testify to the fact that they cannot grow vegetables in their yards because of the uh, pesticides that are routinely sprayed and the the drift from the pesticides. I mean, they're surrounded by farmland and there is a literal crop dusting uh, uh, airport runway at the edge of town. Obviously, you're telling a story. You're 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 helping lift a cover off of something, but is there something else you would like to have happen, to have audiences take away 
after seeing this film? There are a few objectives or even a, a, a growing number of objectives. For me, the, the, the primary is consciousness raising. Um, you know, Paulo Freire uh, uh, said something like a slaveocracy doesn't have within it the DNA to even evolve into a democracy or, uh, or like uh, Malcolm X said, uh, uh, America cannot produce freedom for black people no more than a chicken can lay a goose egg. <laughs> so, so the, 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 uh, you know, what, what's, it, it's important for, for us all to, to realize where we are, um, and to, uh, adjust, um, adjust our consciousness, accordingly um and, and so you know we, we want to you know we want uh we want you know moviegoers to 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 really come to terms or, or or you know grow up to the to the fact of of what this um society is 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 made of and 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 what and these contradictions that perpetually produce a, a hellish uh, reality for, for, for black people and understand that at root it's not whiteness is not a matter of privilege it's 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 as much as it's a deputization um, and that we are really it, it's it's more of a of a war machine or, or different gradations and and, and uh, locales of, of, of war machine that that produce um that produce reality, and we and we also and, and I'm sure you know Michael can speak, uh, uh, you know better to this. But you know they still need justice down there. This is this you know a uh, uh, hundred years is not uh, uh, time. Time does not heal all wounds. Come to find out. You know? <laughs> so, so this is this is it's it, it, this is like a, it, it's been it's a it's a slow process uh, to get some kind of justice to get some some reparation. But um, nevertheless, this is an ongoing fight that everybody needs to know about and um, and throw uh, throw support to. Tongo Eisen Martin and Michael Wilson are the co-creators of the film We Have Just Begun about the 1919 Elaine Massacre and Dispossession in Phillips County, Arkansas. The film will be screened at the Arkansas Museum of Fine Arts in Little Rock one week from tonight, January 19th. More information about that particular screening can be found at ArkansasCinemaSociety.org and more about the film in particular at WeHaveJustBegun.com. This is... Ozarks at Large. the tricky thing about the business of providing enough blood for hospitals and blood banks. While the need never dips, donations do. And January is typically one of, if not the most, challenging months to collect blood. And winter weather like today's can reduce the number of donors even more. 
we recently reached Carvin Brown, the executive director of Our Blood Institute at his Little Rock office. He points out that January is National Blood Donor Month. So this month is the month that we really want to celebrate and remind as a community the importance of blood donation and what it plays into a healthy community. And after the holidays, uh, we always see a dip um, in participation. Why, you know, people are coming back from traveling, they're starting back, we're all trying to get caught up, we're all so busy. But the need uh, for blood products does not change. It actually grows during this time because of travel and the opportunity for accidents and needs actually go go up exponentially. So during this time of year, it is so, so, so critical uh, that everyone uh, takes a moment to make time to ensure that they have a healthy community through blood donation. Very few of us mind having a little nudge or something. And one of the nudges that I love in January is the sort of come out of hibernation campaign. Yes. So um, we are right now uh, in the middle of our come out of hibernation campaign. Uh, We have a very cool shirt uh, with the bear on it that says when I'm not hibernating, you know, I'm I'm out donating blood. Uh, This is also a play on the the importance of this time of year. Uh, And so we want everyone as you you've had your good time, you've enjoyed the holidays. uh, We want you to stay in that mood of giving and say, hey, we're going to come out of hibernation and we're going to get back to it and finding our nearest place to donate and doing it now, not waiting, because there are people uh, depending on your generosity. I've read that you've got a goal of about 1,200 donors per day in January. Absolutely. That's actually every day, uh, every weekday of the year. We have we need 1,200 people to come and participate in blood donation for us to meet our hospital needs and understand we are uh, the sole provider uh, in our area for blood products or our hospital. So what that means is every hospital, trauma center, Arivac, uh, transfusion service only uh, location, if there's blood that they need to support a patient, it comes directly from us, which comes directly from uh, a volunteer donor. 1,200 a day, that really kind of puts it in perspective because that's not a small number. Absolutely not. And when you look at it, um, a a lot of times people really don't understand until they've actually gone through it. I I like to remind people that, you know, blood donation is really the the encompassing or the precipice of the miracle that happens every day. Um, So uh, a single car accident, okay, a single person could use 40 units right away. Um, so you can see uh, that the numbers can compound and they can stack uh, for surgeries. And what we have uh, on the shelf uh, in our, at our centers or at our distribution centers isn't what impacts the life the most. What impacts the life the most is what's already on the shelf at the hospital. So making sure that we have a steady uh, a steady uh, inventory that doesn't fluctuate up and down, but stays steady allows us to save lives and save lives faster because it's on the shelf. When we enter into these these valleys, we, we end up having to manage our inventory tighter so there's less available on the shelf and it's centrally located uh, so that we can get it to everyone. So we always tell people, I, I just encourage them, yes, donate. Uh, donate as often as you can. Uh, and then the last thing is, is um, donate every time that you're eligible. The average person donates about 1.6 times a year when they're eligible to do so about six times a year. And um, there are there are studies out there that shows that if everyone who currently donates donates uh, one more time a year than they normally do, 
we would we would really have a blood shortage. So I always, um, again, encourage people, donate all six times that you can a year because that's what leads to a healthy community. That's what leads to a stable blood supply that when your family or someone that you care about or someone that you know, or even the people that you don't know, need something, it's available right on time. The beginning of year is when many people have resolutions. Perhaps someone hasn't given before. It's been a while. What advice would you give for someone I mean, how do you how do you do it? And then anything you should do to prepare if if this is a new experience or a relatively new experience for you? We are definitely always looking for um, first time donors and new donors. And uh, I've heard, you know, every reason under the book. Uh, some people can't see this as a very intimidating process. And I'm here to tell you it's really not. Uh, for you, the one thing I'll ask you to do is look at your impact. So for about an hour of your time, um, you can really impact up to three different lives. And um, so I always say that, you know, when you're in the giving spirit, uh, that's really what you want to look at is the end results uh, of your efforts. Uh, if you are if you're reasonably healthy and 16 years or older, you know, if you're 16, you'll need your parents uh, permission. But um, if you're reasonably healthy, you can donate. And I tell people, uh, eat a good meal uh, and hydrate really well. And the process is really, really quick and very, and very simple. Generally, the like I said, it's about our process, but the needle's in your arm, you know, six minutes or less. Okay, so uh, it's it's really not a a difficult process, and it it means the world to the people that you're supporting through your generosity. Uh, another thing I would I would like to add with that is I I, I firmly believe like. Arkansans want to help. They want they want to support people. Um, but what they what they need is to know the you know what the efforts uh, what the results of their efforts will be and um, and how they do it. So in listening to this, you know, if you're tuning in, understand that you know take take this opportunity to be educated on what an hour of your time can possibly positively impact your uh, community exactly where you are. This is a great way to give back. It is a great service project. It, there are so many different ways to help, and this is one where you can give to yourself into someone else because there's no substitute for blood. Carvin Brown is the executive director of Our Blood Institute, and he talked with me from his office in Little Rock. You can find out more about blood centers and blood drives with Our Blood Institute at ourbloodinstitute.org. And ahead on our Friday show, a new book recommendation from Pastor Clint Schneckloth. He's suggesting a relatively new science fiction novel that considers alternate universes, climate change, and leadership. And he says it's all written in new ways. That's later on today's Ozarks at Large. The latest from Gaza, also voting in Taiwan and South Africa, upheaval in Ecuador, scandal in the UK's post office, and a powerful new film. It touches something in people that they cannot even speak about. And it makes people realize in what danger we live. The Zone of Interest. That and all the latest news Saturday on Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend Edition with Scott Simon, tomorrow morning beginning at 7. Brent Williams is the new dean of the Sam M. Walton College of Business at the University of Arkansas. The selection was announced yesterday by University of Arkansas Provost Terry Martin, and Williams' tenure officially begins February 1st. 
He has served as interim dean since August of last year when former Dean Matt Waller announced he was returning to the faculty as professor of supply chain management. The official name, image, and likeness collective at the University of Arkansas now has an executive director. Chris Bauer will lead Arkansas Edge. Bauer is an alum of the U of A and, as director, will lead the organization's vision as well as direct fundraising and membership growth. The NIL Collective was created to maximize opportunities for University of Arkansas athletes and is owned by parent company Blueprint Sports. A $6.5 million grant from the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation will be directed toward expanding John Brown University's cybersecurity program. The grant will establish an endowment with $3 million directed toward student scholarships on the Siloam Springs campus, $2 million for technology, and $1.5 million earmarked for full-time faculty. JBU became the only school in the state to offer a bachelor's degree in cybersecurity in 2020. The school also offers MBA and MS programs in cybersecurity. And the University of the Ozarks will use a three-quarters of a million dollar challenge to raise more funds for a proposed multi-million dollar athletic complex. The challenge from the Maybe Foundation in Tulsa will turn into a contribution if the U of O can raise an additional $3.2 million by October 10th. The sports complex, estimated to cost nearly $11 million, includes new fields for soccer, softball, and baseball, plus new lighting and seating. For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. A Pawnee Indian would set a long-standing record for Little Rock's baseball team. Moses J. Yellowhorse was born in 1898 and honed his baseball skills attending the Chilaco Indian Agricultural School, winning 17 games without a loss in 1917. He played with traveling teams before joining the Little Rock Travelers in 1920. Local newspapers labeled him chief and mocked his heritage. Yellowhorse was known for pitching a blazing fastball. One reporter wrote, The Chiefs' notion of a change of pace is the shift from a fastball to a faster one. Leading the Travelers to a pennant, attendance during Yellow Horse's year with the team set attendance records that stood for 31 years. He played for the Pittsburgh Pirates the next year, but injuries and drinking ended his career in 1922. He quit drinking in 1945 and became a respected umpire, groundskeeper, and coach of an all-Indian team that toured in the 50s. His glove is displayed in the Baseball Hall of Fame. To learn more, visit EncyclopediaOfArkansas.net. This is Ozarks at Large. Happy Friday. Von Mims is one of the founders of The Hop Out. It's a do-it-yourself collective of music, art, food, and more. What began as a house venue for local musicians has quickly grown since its conception in 2022. Ozarks at Large's Sophia Narani reports. In the summer of 2022, The Hop Out hosted the first Sweat Fest. It was a space for Fayetteville and Little Rock bands, art vendors, and local music lovers, at Hopout's original house location. As the name suggests, it was hot, but it was a hit. This weekend, Hopout's Vaughn Mims is hosting Sweaterfest, Sweatfest's colder cousin, as he puts it. He says he's been wanting to host a winter installation for quite a while now. The name Sweaterfest came up because when I was talking to Roger and Lee about Bucky Brigade originally, I just liked, I liked the name events. We just... It feels nice when there's like a thing of it. it's like, oh, there's that show. If it's like a bigger like mini fest type thing, giving it a name is just kind of fun. And so I was talking to them about what Buffy Brigade could be called. And I came up with Sweaterfest because it was in the fall. And I was like, also, if I do Sweaterfest, I don't want it to be some like 
you know, mixed mid-genre stuff. It feels cheesy that way. So we did Bucket Brigade um, as the name, which I think fit really well. And then this will be Sweaterfest. So the concept of Sweaterfest was born. But how did it come together? Pretty, pretty naturally. We were wanting to do it. And we were still kind of figuring out booking and catching up. And whenever, after Bucket Brigade, we had a lot of events just immediately. So there's a lot of catch up and just staying, trying to stay on top of it at all. And Death Rattle, Dryer Fire, and Second Life are doing a run this weekend. So they were already coming through here and communicating with Oblivion in them. So they hit us up and we were like, let's just do this with Sweaterfest, we're planning on doing it, we'll take care of everything. And so we kind of ended up doing that with them. So, yeah, our three Little Rock bands are doing a run this weekend, so they'll be up here. And then the other three are all Northwest Arkansas, Obliviate being from here. So it'll be a good kind of combination of people that are close and far. Sweaterfest is taking place at the American Legion in Fayetteville, which is a chapter of a national nonprofit veteran organization, Vaughn says the Legion is no stranger to heavy metal. Obliviate and other local and literary metal bands have had multiple shows there. Obliviate, I think, has been the like event planner main people multiple times. So the VFW American Legion has had multiple metal shows. So we are not their first metal show, which I think is very cool that we have these older veterans that host all of these metalheads, and they love the shows. The event is all ages, and Vaughn says that Hopout and the Legion are providing a safe space that is not often associated with heavy metal shows. It's kind of like the punk scene. You have punk and metal, and people assume, you know, it's loud and all this stuff, and you know, if you're not involved in that, you'll always be surprised how respectful it always ends up being. People are there for a very specific reason, especially when you have it somewhere like the American Legion. They have a bar, but it's not a bar. People are there with intention to watch and listen to music. That's what I liked about house shows. You can hang out there and you can do your thing and it can be social, but you're at this space for a very specific reason, which I think kind of already cuts out problematic people or just like shenanigans kind of thing. It's just not like, oh, there's a show at the bar and I just want to go to the bar tonight anyways. So that's going to be like my intention. Um, I just, I like that a lot. So everyone can come and it'll be just a really good all just safe space. I'm really, I'm really excited about having it there. I also spoke with Damian Ellis Penrod, who is the vocalist and guitarist for Held Tight, a band that will be playing on Saturday. He says he's excited for the show. Yeah, we're really stoked for it. Uh, this is probably, I think this is the first time we've worked with the uh, Hop Out uh, DIY people, but uh, we're really stoked on uh, playing this one and uh, got a lot of sick bands that are also on the bill. Um, and they're all Arkansas, hardcore punk. Some of them are from uh, Little Rock, and then you got some of uh, the uh, NWA guys, too. We played with most of them. We got Dryer Fire, Obliviate, Death Rattle, Second Life, Us, and Take Rest. It's kind of cool to get us all on something together. This is the kind of the first time that all of us have really been on something together. Uh, the only guys we haven't got to play with yet is Death Rattle, so which is really cool to be able to play with them. Back to Vaughn. I asked him what we can expect to see from Hop Out in the coming new year, and he says 
we can expect more concerts and more makers markets. We have a handful of shows through June that we have booked. Different genres, traveling artists, local artists. We've been finalizing everything we're getting to do. George's and Spoken Barrel. We've gotten to and we'll continue collaborating with Madison Square Garden some. So we still have a semi-active house space, which is always good. Again, coming back to all ages and like fully accessible. So I mean, I think we have maybe five or six shows between now and June. We are looking to try and continue to do our pop-outs once a season. Markets are just, they're fun. We can get different creatives doing stuff. It can be really hard for like visual artists to have places to showcase work. And even a market's limiting. I mean, a lot of people that are painting and stuff want to silly do a market with their canvas and everything. But it is something and also markets will be free, all ages, so something you can kind of come. You don't have to spend money. It's great if you do and you can support the artists. But it's something that feels very community-based because everyone can come and just hang out. We did our pop-out last fall um, at the 7th Street Water Rocket. And we had a lot of people come out and we had music and comedy and then everyone vending. We were definitely looking forward to continuing doing uh, markets and stuff like that. To find tickets for Sweaterfest this Saturday or to learn more about Vaughn and the Hopout, you can visit their Instagram page, hopout underscore DIY. For more on the Fort Smith band, Held Tight, visit their Instagram page at heldtight.ar. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Sophia Narani. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kelts. With me is Pastor Clint Schneckloth from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church. Welcome back. Thank you. Great to be here. We're continuing our winter conversations about books, and you have a significantly sized paperback science fiction book in front of me. That's right. Infinity Gate by M.R. Carey. And I love that it also says on the cover, the war for the multiverse has begun. That's a big... <laughs> promise right there for the book. It really is, yeah. So this is the beginning of a trilogy, book one of what they call the Pandominium, which I can explain in just a second. But the basic uh, concept here in this book is rather than traveling like into deep space in order to experience other parts of the universe, uh, early in the book, there's this main character um, who's researching. Uh, it, it's basically like in post-apocalyptic our world in mm-hmm. Lagos, Nigeria, mm-hmm. and she's researching these um, what what she calls step technology, and it's it's essentially creating a box that you're inside of that is released from this universe and can move to another universe that's an alternate reality to ours and directly layered over ours so that everything is identical. So you might like be inside that box, you push the button, and then it releases you to the next. So it's like an elevator. Universe. It's like an elevator. It takes you to an alternative reality. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, at least theoretically, there's an infinite number of these because of the constant divergences of the parallel universes. And she successfully makes this 
steps into this other place with a exploratory like drone, gets some basic information, gets the information back. And at this point in the novel, you're reading this and you're thinking it's a lot like other uh, books that you've read about traveling between the multiverses, except there's a bigger force that keeps track of when there are incursions into any of the very many parts of the multiverse that are part of it. Okay. Then that's the pandominium. All right. And the pandominium is a consortium. Think of it as like the UN, but kind of fascist. And over thousands or maybe millions of different universes, all of which are layered right on top of each other. So it's always planet Earth, but very different depending on what has happened within that part of the universe. So it just so happens that one of the times she sends a drone over there to to a thing, and she doesn't know anything about it because she's like basically fishing blind, right? Mm-hmm. She trips that, and then awareness is uh, brought. And then without going into anything that then is going to give away too much detail for people who are going to read the book, um, this is where you start to explore and find out so much more about this pandemonium and what it's like. And what you also learn, and this just this whole book just kind of blows me away because um, it's like the one of the a, a favorite author of mine, Shauna McGuire, said of the book um, that M. R. Carey heard that there is nothing new under the sun, and so invented a whole new sun to to put new things under. <laughs> And that's hard and to that's, do. Yeah, it's very hard to do, especially yeah. in like multiversal stuff yeah. because there's so much of that it's around, everywhere right? right now. So that first, the concept that there could be a, like a, a, a multiversal government that controls all these different ones and they get into agreement. And then it turns out that there's another force in some of the other multiverses that's like this sentient AI thing that populates all of them and there's this ongoing war between them. So that's fun. But then also the characters are amazing. So, for example, Hadis Tumbawal, who is the woman who discovers this first type of technology from essentially our universe or something closer to it, mm-hmm. she ends up then, you know, having to um, experience different aspects of it. And then it moves on to other characters. And you, you end up in like planets where everybody's a rabbit. Mm-hmm. And in fact, one of the main characters in the whole book is, uh, I always, I got to say her name right, Topaz Tomaline Five Hills <laughs> is the name of this rabbit character who, it turns out, her best friend is a spy AI from the the AI that's at war with the pandominium. Right. And they become like buddies. And so you've got this whole thing of like a buddy relationship between a humanoid rabbit mm-hmm. and an AI mm-hmm. who's sentient. And it is like so many levels of fun that I can't even hardly kind of describe. Well, that's what I was going to ask. It sounds like a fun book. Yeah. But it also sounds – and this – it's different to tell someone about a book like this than it is to read it, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it also sounds like this is a book where you've really got to be there, that you can't just be skimming and thinking about breakfast. 
No, in fact, I listened to this as an okay. audiobook, and it was wonderful as an audiobook. And yet, yeah, whenever you listen to an audiobook, you're very thorough. You don't ever skim right. that kind of thing. Um, and it's very immersive, but it works on every level because you have the whole kind of like world building thing, and then you have like these characters that you really grow to to love and like, and then the I mean, when you're talking about like big big science fiction, there's always that other dynamic of are they making technological proposals that make sense mm-hmm. and like really get you thinking? And it succeeds on that level too. Have you only read the first of the three? And that's the only one that's out. This oh, is 2023. I see. So I there'll see. be more in the Pandemonium series. Yeah. And this one has gotten a lot of recognition and awards. Um, it was one of the top um, you know, like science fiction novels in the New York Times, you know how they do a yeah. thing at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And I think it's been nominated for Hugo, that kind of stuff. So it's multiverse, but it's not necessarily, it's not post-apocalyptic. Oh, it depends on which verse. Well, that's a good point. Sure. Yeah, though, like it starts post-apocalyptic. In fact, that's why uh, Hadith Tumbawal is looking for step, step technology. She's trying to find some solution to the climate crisis, which is destroying the world on which she lives. Which we kind of think is ours or close to ours. Right. Yeah. Or closer. Right. Yeah. And since there's an infinite number, there's probably thousands and thousands of ones that are really close just to hers or ours if you will. I also thought it was interesting, the whole idea that there could be trade between the multiverses. So that's what they use this step technology for is like you can mine. Mm-hmm. So you can use these steps to like mine one planet that doesn't that's uninhabited and bring the material goods back to yours. That's one of the solutions that could maybe affect climate change in one place if they could find the right resources in another. But all she's trying to do at that point is like maybe find an escape. (laughs) Do you think a reader should go into this with some science fiction under their belt? Or can this be something for someone who is not usually a science fiction or related material reader? I don't know. If people really have a block for science fiction... Well, I'm not saying a block, but maybe it's just not their... They don't read it as often as maybe some other people do. Yeah. I guess I'm asking, are there certain things that you'll go... you, You Concepts you kind of need... To be familiar with or – I mean, I unless people really avoid science fiction altogether, most of the conceits that are in here are also probably in a lot of movies. Okay. You know, the multiverse thing is clearly common Everywhere now. now yeah. Uh, it's in the biggest movie estate there is, right? Right, right. And – People having like augmentations or technology augmenting people in some universes. Um, we there are sentient rabbits in the movies too, but typically they're just in like well, you know, a, a, a farmer's patch. I don't know. This weirdly <laughs> reminds me of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, in a way. I mean, you read that and it's fun, and you just sort of accept what comes at you, mm-hmm. and that's what you're doing when you get into Infinity Gate, right? The rules are going to be what the rules are. Yeah, and that's actually clever. I hadn't thought about that, but it's, it's called Infinity Gate, uh, right? Right. You know? So the 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 moves one could make are 
literally infinite. infinite. Are you going to read the second book? Oh, yeah. I'm totally following this trilogy. Does this – not asking to give it anything away. Does this end where you go, oh, now I can't wait for the second part? Yes. Not a cliffhanger necessarily. It's not so much a cliffhanger as it is you're really ready to stay in that world, I would say, yeah. That's the perfect kind of trilogy mm-hmm. to me. All right. Infinity Gate by M.R. Carey. Correct. Pastor Clinch Neckloth from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church. Thank you. Monday on Ozarks at Large, decades before True Detective was filmed in Northwest Arkansas, the CBS miniseries The Blue and the Gray brought actors like Gregory Peck to Fayetteville. We'll remember with the help of archives from the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. i got a place I believe we can shoot the entire thing within a distance of 30 miles of the place. And he said, where is that? And I said, well, this weekend while I was home in Arkansas, I went to North and saw and I took these pictures. And I put them down in front of him. He started looking at them. He looked up at me and he said, where is Arkansas? That's Monday at noon and 7 p.m. on Ozarks at Large on 91.3 KUAF. And don't forget, we'll be with you Sunday morning at 9 for Weekend. Ozarks at large. No surprise here, but the astronomy night at Hobbs State Park near Rogers scheduled for this weekend that we told you about, I think just yesterday, well, that's now been canceled, understandably. There was going to be an outdoor sky viewing. It's probably a good idea to check with any organization that has something set up for the next few days to see if that event is still happening. The Arkansas Razorback women's basketball team now 1-2 and two in SEC play after losing to Mississippi State in Bud Walton Arena last night, 66-63. Up next, a road game at Alabama on Sunday afternoon. The thankfully indoor track season begins today for the University of Arkansas at the Randall Tyson Track Center in Fayetteville. Both the men's and women's teams are defending national champions. A dozen and a half visiting squads are also competing today. And the University of Arkansas gymnastics season also beginning tonight in Barnhill Arena, Arkansas hosting Georgia. In the background is guitarist Ralph Towner from his 2023 release at First Light. And I'm Robert Ginsburg, your host for Shades of Jazz. On this week's edition of the show, I will look back on the year in jazz 2023 with some of my favorites. We'll hear more from Ralph Towner, Kurt Elling, Samara Joy, and much more. Tune in this Friday and Saturday right here on KUAF. Shades of Jazz with Robert Ginsburg tonight at 7 on 91.3 KUAF. Then tomorrow from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m., on KUAF3, and you can listen to any of our digital signals on your HD radio by asking your smart speaker to play either KUAF2 or KUAF3, and by using the free streams available 24-7 at KUAF.com. Good night to stay inside and listen to the radio. Clouds throughout the KUAF listening area tonight, lows from 16 in northwest Arkansas to the lower 20s for the Arkansas River Valley. Wind chill tonight in northwest Arkansas between 6 and 12 degrees. Tomorrow's sunny. Highs from 30 in northwest Arkansas to the mid to upper 30s for parts of the Arkansas River Valley. And Saturday night, 
clear. Lows in northwest Arkansas, real temperatures, 3, with wind chills from minus 2 to minus 12. Saturday night's forecast for the Arkansas River Valley, clear, lows of 10, wind chills around 0 to 4 above 0. Sunday, there's a 50% chance of snow, highs from 15 to 22 across the listening area. Sunday night, it's a 60% chance of snow, lows in the single digits. Sunday evening in northwest Arkansas, mid-teens for the Arkansas River Valley. And Monday, the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, partly sunny by afternoon, though there could be some snow flurries Monday morning. Highs Monday, very cold. Highs Monday afternoon from 13 to 19. Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Sophia Narani and Pastor Clinch Neckloff. Our theme is titled The First Hurrah. It's written and performed by Daryl Sean, his most recent CD of solo guitar work titled Still Here, available wherever you discover music. Additional production work today provided by Jack Travis. Before we end this week of shows, let's give you a Friday favorite. Earlier this week, we brought you our conversation with Chef Micah Klasky. He's the executive head chef at the Hive in Bentonville. We talked about the restaurant's upcoming No Kid Hungry Dinner taking place January 27th. But before I left the restaurant, I asked Chef Klasky a simple question. What is your favorite kitchen tool? So right now, because, you know, New Year's just happened and we tend to do lobster on New Year's, uh, it is a pair of chefs, is a pair of kitchen shears with a flexible rubber handle because whenever you're cutting up lobsters, it, it takes, uh, you got to put a lot of effort and a lot of, and, and I learned very quickly, if you don't have these nice, very flexible scissors, you're basically going to rub skin off your hand in a few different spots. Uh, it would either be that or... Um, a mini whisk that lives in my bane with all my tools uh, because it, uh, yeah, it's just a wonderful little tool to have that it, it, a lot of people don't. I remember going to a kitchen and people were like showing me they're like $2,000 chef's knives. And I'm like, that's great. Check out my mini whisk. <laughs> chef Micah Klasky, the executive head chef at The Hive, talking with me earlier this month. The No Kid Hungry Dinner takes place at The Hive on January 27th. You can learn more at 21C Museum Hotels. Thanks for being with us for this week of brand new shows. We'll do it again on Monday. From the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville, I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks for listening. The Fayetteville Farmers Market Indoor Winter Market is open Saturdays, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. at 945 South College Avenue, the Fayetteville Senior Center. Winter markets feature local vendors with seasonal produce, artisan crafts, and prepared foods. More at FayettevilleFarmersMarket.org.